Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics right here on Blog Talk Radio. Yeah, it's it's just going to be very interesting, and um, 
you know, it's a nice way to come back to the shop. We've been away. Um, you know, the Druid and I traveled west to Tucson, Arizona, for our first time, um, thanks to the uh, the beneficence of our friends at Lost World Fossils, who uh, continue to encourage us to think big. And, uh, you know, we participate in the shows that Tom and Lee get involved in all over the place. And um, so it's taken us on quite the journey. And, uh, you know, really it's been a portal for us to get into um, venues that we wouldn't have been able to get into on our own. So experiencing Tucson firsthand is definitely a mind-blowing experience. I mean, if you can just imagine that just one of the shows that we went to, the Kino show, is the size of the Meadowlands um, flea market. And so simultaneously, you know, there's 12 to 15 other shows going on all around the city of Tucson, you know. So um, there's no such thing as seeing it all, you know. You just really have to... um, parcel yourself out and and I tend to move very slowly through those events because I'm meticulous in the way that I pick out crystals. So here uh-huh. I am like plodding plodding along and my friend Tom is just shaking his head. He's like like you don't get it. He's going, you just don't get it. I'm not, you know, I'm happy at one show. You know, what would I know? Uh-huh. And uh so I I was Schooled very early on in, uh, you know, the art of um, purchasing at uh, at the Tucson level of the show. And uh, so I'm very excited. I have brought back some really, really different and unique pieces into the shop. Um, I try to buy things that I don't normally stock. Um, mm-hmm. And I... I I think I was rather successful. So we have um, a beautiful selection of Arizona sandstone. Uh, The stones are all either um, round or crescent-shaped or um, cylinders that you can use for meditation. And uh, the, the scenes on the stones themselves are just so breathtaking. So... That was a, a definitely a new find for me. Um, and we got some nice, healthy, kind of palm-sized pieces of Arizona petrified wood. So, wow. Um, I, yeah, I do a lot of work with, um, with petrified wood myself in my own practice because um, it's so representative of transformation and endurance. And I know we're we're talking tonight about life, death, and um, the divine goddess Tecate, and so yes. you you really can't you know you really can't get into that topic without really thinking about things like petrified wood and and what they represent. I mean, when you look at that, and especially the pieces that have maintained the um, resemblance of their original structure. Only now they're they're perfectly preserved as as you know fossils really, um, and it's just such a lesson for us to believe in transformation and that you know what you're going through right now, no matter how difficult it is, that um, 
when you emerge, you're going to emerge as a thing of beauty. Um, yeah. You know, you're not going to be just destroyed and, and, you know, plowed over. You're really going to, you're going to develop that resilience and that endurance that allows you to last and to last in a beautiful way. So, um, so it's, kind of apropos that we would bring home so much petrified wood this trip, you know. Wow. <laughs> so I'm glad it was productive and now you're back uh, home and at the Dragon and you're having old Bronzel over on Saturday. So uh, things sound very uh, exciting. Um, transitions have been very much uh, on my mind uh, of late. As you know, we have an aunt uh, who lives with us, who's, uh, um, you know, uh, basically going through some transitions uh, herself and uh, um, those type of transitions that uh, we're here for her uh, with uh, are ones that we'll all be going through. Um, I'm 60 now, so in, uh, uh, you know, 30 years, this will be 90. And uh um, my family tends to bow out in their like very late 80s or early 90s. Uh, so I figure uh, if all else being well, I have that much more time on the earth. And that's just like a third of my lifetime. Uh, right, so right. It's been focusing me on uh, my day to day. And uh, it's been a cathartic uh, process. Uh, because uh, a lot of things like I'm looking at, like things I'd like to do because I'm a doing type of person. Uh, I've been reexamining them because I've been realizing that there isn't enough time to do all of these uh, things. So it's like, which of these things do I really want to do? Why do I really want to do them? And in the process of trying to sort through that, a lot of times it's discovering that uh, these aren't even things I ever wanted to do. These are things I believed I should do, you know, as uh, defined by my culture uh, or my secondary culture or uh, my spiritual journey, you know, so I've been examining like, why do I have to do these things? So why do I want to do these things? Right. And that's been pretty illuminating also. It, it hasn't been easy, but once you go through it and you let go, the, the freedom is amazing. And, and I would agree with you, um, Hercules. And certainly um, 2019 has really been about um, transitions for me as well. And, um, you know, about a year and a half ago now, my dad, um, crossed over and he did it rather suddenly um, you know he died of acute monoblastic leukemia after only um, four days after diagnosis and uh, he was already yeah. in um, organ failure at the point that um, he was diagnosed so you know we brought him home on hospice and uh, truly hospice is a gift um, not just yes. to the transitioning um, person, but to the family as well. And I was so grateful for the four days that we had and the opportunity to really, you know, know that. And and unfortunately, you know, day in and day out, we don't always know that somebody is transitioning. And so, you know, we take a lot of things for granted in terms of what we might um, want to say or do. Uh, so when when you're in a situation like that and hospice is involved, you you kind of know you have parameters, and it's really it's on you at that point to make the best out of the opportunity that you're being given by the universe. And I 
I spent a lot of time with my dad in those four days and really felt at the moment uh, I was with him, um, I was actually holding him uh, when he crossed over. And mm-hmm. it, it was it was a beautiful moment. And mm-hmm. so, you know, and once they do cross over, you know, they have the, um, you know, the ability to really help us out to, you know, like you said, you know, watching your aunt go through the, the process that she's going through, it's really, it's given you some perspective on really taking stock of, hey, what, what do I want to do and what do I feel like I have to do and how much of this stuff um, can I unload to make room in my life for the quality uh, that I really feel um, I'd like to build in here. And so when our, when our loved ones cross over, um, it's such an added gift for us, those who are left behind, because it, it just tells us, you know, how precious time is here and oh, yeah. how we need to really make the best of it, you know. And uh, so now we're, we're going through this. Uh, my mom uh, has been in and out of hospital since uh, the beginning of November. And, uh, you know, right now she is, you know, she's a tough lady and, and you know, I refer to her as the she-wolf that raised me. <laughs> and so she's, you know, she's she's fighting hard and she wants to continue to fight. She's on dialysis. Uh, she has um, some chronic lung issues from uh, 50 years of smoking cigarettes. And uh, she has diabetes. So she's got kind of the trifecta of terror, you know, for those of us in the healthcare field, you know, when somebody walks in the door and they have diabetes and they're on dialysis and they have, you know, chronic heart failure, we just know that, you know, this is going to be a very complicated scenario for the patient and the family. And, you know, so here's mom and, and this is really what she's playing out right now. So, you know, I have another opportunity in my life to really say, hey, what's important? You know, I've had to make some choices since uh, the middle of October around how I spend my time and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, what I what I expend my energy on. And uh, you know me, I'm a lot like you. I'm everywhere at once. Yes, you know, yes. I've got a finger in every pie, and if my fingers don't reach, then I'll extend a toe. But I, I have to way. be involved in, like, so many things. Um, and this has really been, you know, a challenge for me. I've, I've had to even uh, pare down a little bit of what I do with the dragon, and I'm grateful for the community that I have there that, um, you know, that they are supportive and aware that when I cancel events, um, it's not because I don't want to expand what we're doing together. It's just that right now, you know, the universe is pulling me in another direction and I I have to, I have to um, take care of that. I have to spend the time with my mom that I have left um, Mm -hmm. and really, you know, enjoy what I'm doing and not feel 
you know, rushed and harried and, and pulled in so many directions. So, um, you know, much like Hecate herself, you know, when you stand at that, that center of the crossroads and you can see the past, you know, you're like yourself, I'm sure, you know, recalling the those many relationships that you've had with your aunt through the years, you know, and all the roles just come tumbling in together, right? Yes, yes. It's, so, uh, it's, you know, it's amazing because it, it, my aunt herself, when I was uh, like uh, uh, a kid, uh, she tapped me on the shoulder and uh, um, she said, um, what do you call it, that when I'm 35, I think she did this when I, I was like 17, 18. She said, when I'm 35, she's going to tap me on the shoulder again and ask me a question. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so I forgot about it. Uh, but then when I was 35, she tapped me on the shoulder and she asked me a question. And uh, she reminded me that I remembered. And she said, how did the past uh, 17, 18 years uh, feel? So I thought about it and I answered honestly. They felt like a dream. You know, like 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 it was yesterday. You know, like it just uh, you know. And uh, she said that that's how right. life is, like like a dream. Uh, and she said, uh, next time, uh, um, you know, uh, she's tapped me on the shoulder. I forget what it was when I was like fifty something. Uh, and she didn't. She asked me the question again. And you see, at that point, when you're looking back, how quickly the years uh, pass. Uh, or perceptions of the year is. So you recognize what a precious gift uh, each and every moment is. And you realize, too, that these moments are going to go by very quickly. You know, because if you turn around, like, and it's 18 years later, and, uh, um, you know, it's like it passed like a dream, and then you get tapped on the shoulder like 20 years later, and that's like a dream, too. Right. it's, It's amazing. Yeah, you know, it really is, and and our ability to process this stuff just changes, you know, tremendously. I mean, when we're young, and certainly before we're the age of five, right, we still have that Uh magical window very much open for us. And so, you know, really being able to see the transitory nature of our existence without fear um, and without judgment um, is part of that picture. And it's not until, you know, again, we hit that age of five, we, we develop rational thinking, you know, we start to pay attention more to the reactions of the adults around us, that we start to fear, um, you know, death. We start to fear the end of life. Yes. We start to see it, see it as a point of sadness rather than a point of, you know, um, release and, and transformation. And so in a, in a sense, you know, we kind of rob ourselves of, you know, fully being able to immerse ourselves in this, this lifetime, this experience that we have because once that grain of fear is introduced, um, into our mindset, we become very quickly preoccupied with it, right? So we, we go from just accepting what is um, as, a, as a young child to trying to prevent um, what we know is coming at some point. And so 
it really mm-hmm. does kind of shift that for us. So if you're of the belief system, like, you know, I, you know that I, um, as a practicing witch, I believe very strongly in reincarnation and, you know, the fact that we keep coming back in different um, mm-hmm. um, shapes and sizes and genders and species, but we, we certainly, our souls continue to come back. So, you know, folks that are in the pagan community that tend to believe in, um, you know, reincarnation and the life, death, rebirth cycle, you know, we're kind of, we kind of get it. I think I think we get it a little bit better, you know. Unfortunately, that doesn't make us very popular people at, you know, um, at funerals and uh, deathbeds and hospitals mm-hmm. because we're the ones sitting there saying, you know, well, congratulations, your soul is free now and you can, you know, go back and, and take rest and, you know, come back again and, and continue to pursue your, your goals. You know, everybody right. else is weeping over the loss, and we're kind of seeing it as a transition. So it's a very interesting perspective, I think, to have on death. But I, I think it's also, you know, maybe just a little bit healthier, too. I don't know. What do you think? I think the same. I think that uh, um, there is a sense of loss in that uh, while you're here, that person is no longer physically uh, present like they were before. But if you've done any type of spiritual work at all, and we've devoted our lifetimes uh, to doing that, uh, you know, as you say, that the person is free. And you know that the person still exists, and not just in your memories or in your heart, but that they exist. And this is proven time and again. So it's easier, in a sense, you know, to move on uh, because you can still feel that person, you still know that person's there and that they're waiting for you. And the time, uh, our, the passage of time, our perception of it uh, is an illusion. True. And uh, True. I know in my work that I've been doing and that, that I've been trying to share with the, the dragon uh, is the sense that uh, if you do a lot of this uh, spiritual type of work, a lot of this consciousness work, uh, you start getting the uh, impression that, this is like a dream, this life, and that there's a right. part of you while you're dreaming here that's awake, <laughs> and its awakeness is, uh, um, you know, greater than the amount of consciousness you have here. Just like in your waking life, uh, the consciousness that you have is greater than what you have in the dream. So it, it seems to be a continuum of consciousness and uh, and. Uh, the the ultimate reality is not what we're experiencing here. Right. Well, because we're so much bigger than that, you know, I mean, we ourselves, I mean, our souls are, are so much more um, expansive than, you know, our, our current state of body and mind can really tolerate. So, you know, we have to kind of compress that a little bit and, and, stifle it somewhat just to make sense of this particular environment, right? And, um, you know, I always marvel at the balance of things. I mean, nature nature has a way of always kind of finding its flow. And 
So I'm, I'm particularly aware of those transitions um, when they involve, you know, the beginning of life and the end of life in, in close succession. And so, you know, we we have a few people in, you know, in my circle right now that are expecting um, children, either grandchildren or, you know, their own children. Uh-huh. And, you know, so the closer they get to their due date, you know, the farther up my radar goes. And I, you know, and I'm like, well, obviously there's going to be new life brought in and I'm just, I'm very curious to see, you know, who's going to be transitioning out as this new life is transitioning in. Because I always find it so fascinating, you know, um, who is actually departing as somebody new is is arriving in. And um, so we're, we're kind of at that place. And so, you know, my, my mom you know, she's been going through these peaks and valleys. So one day in the hospital, she looks fantastic. And then the next day there, you know, she's in some kind of an emergency crisis with one of her organ systems. And then she kind of pulls out of that and, you know, she has another good day and then something else, you know, is off balance and she winds up in another crisis. So, you know, I'm kind of looking at her now and I'm wondering when, she will um, voluntarily surrender, you know, that that light of her soul to, you know, kind of contribute to somebody else, you know, and, and the formation of this new being that's going to be coming into the world. And, um, you know, so, so I kind of see it that way. And... Um, my brothers, as you know, are our funeral directors. So, yes. um, you, you know, we're, we're kind of surrounded by this whole um, life, death, and rebirth experience. Um, I sleep at the funeral home on the weekends when I'm up there. And, you know, I always take a moment to go down and, and spend some quiet time with whoever I'm sharing the space with on that particular night because, you know, it, it's important that they know that even in the silence that, you know, there's somebody who's thinking about them. And um, so we kind of move through it together. Um, and, and I just, I guess you can't help but think this way because of everything that's going on right now in the world. Certainly, you know, we're we're having kind of parallel experiences even without even knowing it. So I, yes. I just find that so interesting too, because you and I have not had an opportunity to speak really, no. um, probably in over a month. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But the, the life does that. It mirrors. Uh, uh, it mirrors things uh, um, a lot of times, as does fiction. It's really weird, you know. Like you watch a television show, and we'll have like the same situation play itself out through the different characters. Um, life does that also, you know, very synchronistically. Right. I think yeah. it's so that we can learn from each other. You know, we, we can uh, uh-huh. um, process uh, together, you know, the, these aspects of the human condition that we all have to go through. Yeah, and I, and I think if we, you know, if, if you leave yourself open to considering that there are no coincidences in this lifetime, there are just... Right. 
puzzle pieces that maybe you need to store for later. And if you, if you can really just take a look at your life that way and try not to micromanage it, right? Just accept the gift of whatever this is that's coming your way and understand that if it doesn't fit perfectly right now, it's because you need some more experiences to make that kind of fit. And, I, and I'll share a personal experience with you um, okay. that, that I had myself. So, um, you know, about five years ago now, right, four or five years ago, um, the hospital system that I, that I work in, um, you know, I was kind of tapped on the shoulder and, and told that, um, congratulations, I was now going to be the site coordinator for uh, the lupus walk. And, uh, you know, I, I, so I have to coordinate this walk and get all this fundraising started and pull together a team that really is going to represent us. And, you know, I remember at the time saying, well, what the heck is lupus? You know, sure, there's, I know the breast cancer walk. I know the heart walk. Um, but what is this, you know? I've never even uh-huh. heard of this thing. And so I threw myself into it, you know. In the first year, I was not very successful. Um, I did not collect a lot of money. And, um, you know, I, I, I was a little disappointed and frustrated with myself. And so the next year when I did this, I kind of, I figured out my way through it, and I managed to collect a, a, a respectable amount of, of money and teammates. And so, you know, being competitive, as you know I am, by the third year I was, you know, I was getting trophies and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, but I was I was kind of looking at it in a very, you know, it was a task. It was something I was assigned to do, and so I'm going to do it. So I learned um, enough about lupus so that I could speak to it when I was asking for the fundraising, you know, from the various um, organizations that I was approaching. Um, and then, you know, um, my, as I said, my dad died about a year and a half ago, and um, I, he started to come to me really in my, in my dreams. And he was really telling me that I, had to, I really had to... Um, I really had to straighten my life out a little bit, and I needed to take care of myself, which I wasn't really doing the best job of at that point. I was, I had gained a lot of weight, and um, although I was vegan, I was a, you know, I was a potato chip and uh, granola vegan, so um, I, you know, I wasn't necessarily in a healthy place. Um, I, I was just, um, you know, not eating meat, so. Um, I started to really consciously work on my my diet and my health and focus on eating an anti-inflammatory diet and working out and getting fit um, because that's really what my dad had said I, I needed to do. And mm-hmm. I will share with you that um, I have very recently uh, actually been diagnosed with lupus. Mm. And it was quite a shock. You know, I've had these symptoms, um, various symptoms in my life on and off for probably like the last 12 years. And, you know, everybody diagnoses the one thing that you have. Not Nobody's looking at it as a systemic 
process and saying, well, you know what, you have osteopenia, you have osteoarthritis, you have dry eye, you have um, a low white blood cell count. Maybe we need to look at something systemic here. Everybody just identifies the one thing and says this is the one thing we're looking at. And so, um, you know, finally I guess I had enough things going on um, all at once that um, I got some DNA testing done and it confirmed that um, I actually have lupus. And so now I'm looking back and I'm saying, okay, well, now I get it. You know, this is all preparation for the battle that I, you know, am now engaged in, you know. But back then it didn't make any sense. I was like, what the heck? I don't have enough to do? What is lupus anyway? This is bizarre. Um, You know, and then for my dad to come through so clearly insisting that I really needed to do a better job, um, you know, taking care of myself and, so now I understand it all, and now it makes sense. And so, you know, I, I guess, you know, my encouragement is really to just, you know, consider that there's there are so many synchronistic opportunities for us uh, in this lifetime if we allow yes. ourselves to just receive the gift and not try and analyze and micromanage it at the time that it presents itself. You know, that, that, that's very true, and I've had things like that happen in my life where um, it seems like uh, a lot of experience I enjoyed and I couldn't understand why I was undergoing those experiences uh, didn't make sense until, uh, like, they actually happened. Like, for instance, my current work that I'm doing um, with uh, uh, my metaphysical teachings, with the theosophy and the theurgy and uh, uh, all of that uh, stuff, um, I spent a lifetime collecting obscure books that uh, I didn't really have a chance to read uh, thoroughly or anything, but I kept collecting them. And often I wonder why am I holding on to these, <laughs> these <laughs> you know, hundreds of books? And uh, um, I, I felt that I should hold on to them. And I've learned the value of uh, listening to your inner self, to, you know, to your gut when it's talking to you. So I carried them around right. from place place and over the years I mean uh, wondering and now it seems that some part of me knew what I would be doing because I got (laughs) all the books on it I don't need to look for them and because now they're expensive and hard to find (laughs) and I managed to pick them along along the way not knowing why and then when it was time here you go you got everything you need to do it right right here (laughs) so um, that seems trite uh, compared to some of the things that you shared, but it's just another example uh, about how we don't really know what our lives are about, except in retrospect a lot of times. Right. And I, and I don't, I don't, I don't think it's trite at all. I think it's, I think it's kind of monumental Hercules because you were, you know, what we don't realize I think is that all of these, all of these things are building blocks. Right. Mm-hmm. And because, you know, our ego is building something that is superficial and materialistic. It's distracting us from what we really should be building, which is that legacy, you know, that legacy moment for us. And so, you know, unbeknownst, here you are and you're going through your life and you're doing the things that, like you said, 
you know you should do it, right? I'm an adult. I should get a job. I need insurance. I need to settle down. I need to do this. I need to wear a button-down shirt, you know, all this kind of stuff. And while, you know, while all that's happening, then you have these, you know, what we call superfluous things, right? Like, you know, Mm -hmm. oh, it's so silly that I'm spending so much money on these books or I don't know why that I had to buy this thing or that thing. And then somewhere down the road, it becomes functional for you. So I think it it just feeds right into exactly what we're talking about. And I'm sure that um, if we had a dial-in service, um, that a lot of our listeners would be also chiming in and being able to tell us stories about how, you know, their dots all got connected and the story finally made sense. Because I think that's really what we're here for. I, I agree. And uh, since you brought that up, um, in the months ahead, I'm going to be changing everything around a little bit because uh, uh, now I learned how to do more things. So, like, for instance, with each episode now, uh, the guests and the host and the topic are listed, and I've been adding tags. And this will make it infinitely uh, more easy for people to find a, a particular episode they're looking for. Um, but oh, great. Uh, we'll be pre-recording some shows. Um, and this way we're oh, not great. bound. Like, like, for instance, if you have something to do on a Monday night or if I have something to do on a Monday night, we could pre-record the show uh, at our leisure. We could even pre-record five or six shows uh, and then just uh, put them into the slot. So we'll have a lot more freedom. And when we're on live, uh, we can open it up to people uh, calling. Uh, initially, oh, we'll pre-screen calls. Uh, so that we know who's calling. But then once we're comfortable with it, I could open it up and anybody can call. And, you know, we can uh, uh, do that as well. So we're thinking along the same track there. I, I believe that would add a lot to the show if people can, uh, you know, call in and share with us their particular uh, stories. Oh, and indeed. And I, I think that that's, that's really where you grow that sense of community. You know, everybody's looking for, um, you know, some form of connection, something that helps them to make sense of themselves without necessarily, um, you know, having to be the, the center of attention, you know what I mean? So if you can, you know, if you could get something and say, hey, you know what, that sounds like me, um, and, and Connect in that way, even on a radio program. I think it feeds your soul a little bit. Now, I would I really so love to, you know, to have that opportunity to talk to more people about that stuff. And and you're right. Uh, I, I remember when we used to do paranormal investigations, mostly in Pennsylvania. Uh, we did a lot of that, and we're starting up again uh, now. But uh, it would always be the same thing. Uh, people would say, oh, I don't believe in ghosts. Or they come to one of my talks and say, oh, I don't believe in ghosts. And then by the end of the talk, they would share a, a ghost story, something that right. they personally or something that somebody close to them who they uh, believe is being truthful uh, um, experience. So the I don't believe in ghosts or I don't believe in UFOs, uh, within an hour that was gone. So it, it, it really does help to hear other people talk about things that you feel that you can't talk about. Um, you know, because the people that you normally talk about these things to might uh, make fun of you or might uh, 
uh, put you down or something like that. And that was the virtue when uh, I did my library things that uh, uh, people that had nobody to tell these things to come to the library and hear people saying what they've been experiencing. So they w- it would validate them in some way and they would sh- then share yeah. their experience. And for some people, that's all they needed, and you never saw them again. But for others, they come back all the time because, again, they found people that they can actually talk to. Right, right. And, and you know, so so it, it kind of, like, reminds you of Kakate, right? She's kind of like an oddball because she's, she's you know, she's, she's a very unique um, character in mythology. She's not, you know, she's not your traditional goddess. And she finds... Um, you know, refuge and comfort in, you know, the underworld. But she can also be translated, you know, in, in you know, the world above, right? So right. She, she, she's kind of cool in that she can walk her path and she can feel comfortable in all kinds of very awkward situations. And so she she brings us so many lessons about literally just being yourself um and right. you know, doing what you know what you feel in your heart um rather than what you're told to do and so you know you look at that whole piece of her you know you know Zeus is sending her down into the underworld to rescue Persephone and she really sees her role as being one of helping Persephone to adjust um, and feel comfortable in the new environment rather than, quote-unquote, rescuing her from from that environment. So, you know, she, she really took quite a risk in being able to do that because it wasn't what she was being instructed to do. And so we, when we think about our own lives, right, how many times have, you know, you've been told by a teacher or a coworker or a you know business associate or a friend that hey you know this is what you should be doing and you may even start that journey but somewhere along the line you make it yours and the outcome may not be what they were expecting um, but it brings you to a whole new level of understanding for yourself right and uh, I have found uh that Hecate is much different than the uh, portrayals of her in uh, mythology and popular understanding. And uh, I've I've shared publicly on the radio and my talks and also uh, in uh, one of Tim Beckley's uh, anthologies, my uh, childhood experiences and then my adult experiences like a lady in white and in Greece. And I've come to understand that that was Hecate and that the ancients Mm -hmm. portrayed her as a young woman, not as an old uh, crone. Uh Uh, as she's commonly portrayed uh, um, in modern uh, times. And I'm very grateful. I found the daughter of Hecate, yourself, uh, many other daughters of Hecate, uh, a son of Hecate, and the children of Hecate have been most uh, there uh, for uh, providing the essential things that are needed to do my uh, theurgic and theosophical and mythic spirituality work. And theurgy, um, Hecate is the chief goddess of theurgy, as well as Hermes and Iris. So um, Hecate has been there for my entire life uh, unknowingly. And now that I know, I can see her uh, influence uh, everywhere. And uh, all of you Hecateans are wonderful people, and uh, I'm very grateful for you being in my life. 
Well, well, thank you so much. You know, I I think it's just so easy for us to vilify um, strength that comes from a, a place that is um, unconventional. Right. You know, so, you know, it's almost like the Cyclops, right? So instead of seeing, um, you know, the power and being able to align yourself with the Cyclops, we have to see it as a monster. So, you know, it's the same thing with Hakate. You know, crossroads are scary places because it gives us choice. And we're always afraid of failure. We're always afraid of making the wrong choice. So instead of seeing it as part of the journey, and believe me, I am a wrong way Feldman, okay? The Druid can tell you stories. I will get lost in my own house. I am continuously turning in the wrong, what we would call the wrong direction, to get to where it is that my destination is supposed to be sending me, okay? So Uh I get... You know, I get the fact that when we get to a crossroads, you know, we panic. You know, should I go right? Should I go left? Should I keep going straight ahead? You know, so rather than seeing it as an opportunity, you know, people fear it. And so they fear the goddess who, you know, represents that crossroads as if in some way she is to blame. You know, if you go the quote-unquote wrong way that it's Hakate's fault, you know what I mean? Um, instead of seeing it as what it is, and that is a learning experience. And the right. way that you choose to go is based on the information that you have at your disposal at that moment. And if it's not getting you where you want to go, then you've learned something from it. And now right, right. you'll move forward in a, you know, you'll move forward in a different direction. And so, she really is, um, you know, a, a very maternalistic um, goddess, but we just don't perceive her that way. Right. It's like uh, with Athena. Athena is also, although they call her virgin. Uh, these days, virgin did not necessarily mean uh, someone who hadn't had sex. It meant somebody who was self-contained, uh, somebody who didn't need another person to complete them. So uh, right. in Etruscan uh, mythology, Athena is the mother, and uh, she's married to Hercules, and their their oldest son is Ares, who, again, was not perceived the same way that the Greeks uh, perceived him. He wasn't uh, you know, a cowardly bully. He was uh, um, the, the power of human courage and bravery and uh, the ability to stand up against overwhelming odds for what you believed in. Uh, he was a heroic endeavor for, you know, in the new generation. Well, so, you know, again, in order to embrace that concept, you have to you have to be able to kind of follow the unknown. You have right. to surrender. You have to surrender your disbelief. You know, you've got to kind of learn to go with the flow a little bit, you know. And and I think that's the bigger challenge. I think that's, you know, where we build fear into, you know, this concept of life, death and and rebirth and you know, and choices that we have around that, 
because we're so busy struggling with, you know, not looking stupid, not looking odd, not standing out, that we really do miss our opportunity, I think, a lot of times. That is a very good point and one well worth exploring next time we're together. Yeah, that's going to be great. Uh, do we have you in March? I believe the ninth, in March? I believe the right. I believe we set it for the rest of the year uh the second uh, Saturday in uh each month. Uh and this yeah. we're going to try to figure out when it is unless something comes up and then we'll let each other know. No. Um, so I'm yeah, looking forward I, to I that. Was, yeah, I was hoping that you guys were going to come to Oberon, and I think initially we had him scheduled on the ninth, and then we had to move him because he had a conflict. Yeah, we're we're going to try to. Uh, right now, uh, you know our family situation, so uh, uh, yeah, where it's very difficult to leave Tenafly for any particular. A period in time, but uh, again, it is a process and it won't be forever. Um, but right. uh, it is something that we'd like to do if we can possibly do it. Yeah, it would be nice to, uh, for the two of you to be in the same room. I think that would be fascinating, actually. I, I think so, too. I've long wanted to meet uh, Oberon, so uh, um, again, I'm very highly motivated to do it. Um, I wanted to share a little bit about where things are going with uh, our current Saturday workshop and to uh, um, urge our audience, if they have any interest in theurgy and their um, near, in, or can get to Branchville, New Jersey, um, this is a rather unique uh, opportunity to get involved in one of the most ancient, um, provable systems of uh, uh, metaphysics and transformation, and uh, it's been going on now at the Dragon for nearly a couple of years, I believe. And yeah, yeah. Evolved, and uh, now we have a working uh, theurgy group, um, and uh, it's very eclectic and experimental, but it keeps very closely to the golden chain that links it uh, to antiquity, and we're actually going to start repeating things uh, soon, uh, and we're going to have a curriculum. So uh, there are two outer courts, uh, and then there's the instructional phases of it, everything from the planets to the Greek myths and their astrological interpretations uh, to basic theurgy to advanced theurgy and uh, so forth. And uh, I'll be adding a few other uh, components to it so that uh, within a year or two years at most, we'll actually have a theurgical school um, at the Amber Dragon. Oh, how cool is that? Wonderful. That will be very unique. And there's only a handful of those on the planet. So, uh, um, we will have one, and I've already started forming uh, good relationships with uh, other uh, people and centers of theurgic uh, activity throughout the planet, both uh, um, hidden and in public. Uh, so when this actually all comes together, as, as uh, I see it inside my head, uh, we'll have something truly uh, unique, and Branchville will become a mecca to all those who seek this uh, ancient information. So if you want to be part of that process of growth, you're welcome to come join us at the uh, Dragon. And what's going to be different this year is I'm going to be advertising in magazines and in other uh, places to you know, let people know what we do there um, and what the Dragon does, uh, because it, it's, it is an awesome, awesome thing. And uh, Linda Marciniak is our speaker for the Order of Hecate, 
uh, and though life hasn't allowed us the luxury of building that up uh, uh, into a uh, slightly more formal structure, informally it's there, and certainly the connection with the goddess is powerful and strong in what we're doing. So uh, I'm looking forward to uh, Linda and I, maybe over these podcasts, uh, creating that system and putting it in place uh, so that when everything clicks together, that's there too. Oh, I'm so excited about all that, Hercules. I mean, I, me too. You me know, too. It's, it'll take a while, but it, it's coming. Yeah, but but you know what I mean. We're, we're to see some real transitions um, at the Dragon, and we're we're seeing so many new people every weekend that the whole mm-hmm. word of mouth thing is really finally taking off. And um, you know, it's just it's just such a living, growing environment. I mean, we have all kinds of new people walking through the door. And, um, you know, I was just in yoga uh, down in Nutley, actually, tonight. And, you know, my yoga instructor knows that, you know, I have the shop and that I like crystals. And so she turned one of the yogis on to me. And this woman came to talk to me, you know, after yoga about crystals. And one thing leads to another. And she's, you know, she's had this awakening experience. She read a book. Um, you know, it's piqued her interest in uh, witchcraft and, you know, and before you know it, you know, you're off to the races, right? So um, sharing the, the dragon and, uh, you know, the Facebook page and the newsletter and all of the opportunities that could present itself. Uh, so it was really very exciting. And um, I just, I love the way it feels when we get new people that come in and say, wow, the energy in here is just beautiful. I just want to stay here all day, you know, um, because that's really what the goal is. It's, uh, the merchandise is really secondary, I think, to the community building that we do because I, I, there's the legacy, right? Selling crystals, anybody could do that online, but, you know, your legacy is in, um, you know, in the the information and the education and the, spiritual support that you're able to, you know, provide the community with, I think. But but your heart is also in the crystal. So what they get at your store is not what they're going to get over the Internet because uh, you handpick everything and uh, uh, you put a lot of uh, time and energy into uh, selecting everything. So um, that is an aspect that somebody cannot get, uh, you know, from ordering online. And uh, the community... Uh, came initially a lot of them for the crystals, <laughs> so the crystals right, drew right. people from far. So, um, and you have really cool stuff, you know. And now we have a lot of your Thank cool you. stuff in our house. So, uh, it's really, really awesome uh, uh, things that one can find in the Ember Dragon. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I like that you wear Waldo everything, where you move things around and then you put new pieces. <laughs> unexpected places so browsing becomes a fun experience because there's always something new in the corners there <laughs> of the shelf you know or uh, so I, oh, I really I, oh, appreciate that from the dragon and it's it's kind of cool you know when I come back in after I've been away um, for a little while and I, and I come back in because I always see something that um, I don't remember and then, you know, once I'm over there and I'm handling it, I, I can pretty much remember every single crystal where I got it, when I got it, um, because, uh, like you said, I, I 
I search for the stones with the spirit that I can feel and that I can see. And those are the stones I know are meant to come home. And that was one of my right. struggles in Tucson, really. I was, I was fretting so much over, um, you know, how to safely assure that all of these magical, um, you know, beauties were going to make it back to the Amber Dragon in one piece. And so, you know, uh, you know, people looked at me like I was crazy. I don't know if you saw the Facebook pictures, but, you know, I was, here I am individually wrapping each stone critter or I'm wrapping them in, you know, little parcels two by two. And I, I, I realized once I had a whole pile of these things, what it was starting to look like. And um, so I said, well, you know what? I, I, I can't, I can't put them in the suitcases in these little white pouches because I'm starting to look suspicious. And so, um, mm-hmm. you know, we started bundling, we started bundling things together and, you know, but you're always worried that something's going to break or, or, you know, in right. transit, but, um, but truly we were very lucky. And, uh, cause I shipped, you know, I used priority mail from the post office from the stuff that was, bulky and rough and um you know everything that was beautiful and polished uh came home in the suitcases so um we have a lot of cabochons we have a lot of stone critters we have some beautiful fossils some zigzag oysters and some um trilobites and uh you know just some really nice things and it's worth the trip just to come and handle them for a while and listen to the stories about each one of them and um you know there's really you know there's no obligation and no pressure to buy it's really just right. about you know getting in touch with that stuff and and being able to touch it and feel it and you know that kind of thing well our our time is again at an end uh, uh i'm grateful that we had this time to catch up with each other and uh, to talk about life death and the goddess Hecate uh amid uh, all the uh um the, the things that we covered thank you very much linda um i look forward to seeing you very soon and um is the, i i listed that oberon will be there on saturday i uh, what time will it be again uh 7 p.m. Okay, let me put down 7 p.m. And is there anything else you'd like me to list? I, I have a link to the dragon and a link to your Facebook page. Um, I think that's great. And, yeah, because I'm, I'm going to put my newsletter up uh, either tomorrow night or Wednesday. So anybody who goes onto the Facebook page will have the opportunity to see the newsletter and know all of the events, including yourself there, um, on the 9th from 1.30 to 3.30. Um, so yeah, they'll, they'll have the opportunity to see everything we have to offer in the month of March. Fantastic. Is there a way where I can link to that directly from my, uh, timeline? Um, I, I'm really not sure cause it's Facebook. So, okay. um, when, whenever, yeah, whenever you do that, what I do is I screenshot it and then I save it. Um, and then I'll post it on my Facebook page. Okay, I, I will. Um, it's going to be there in a few days. But I'll, I'll try to link it uh, directly from my timeline, uh, and uh, so that more people can access it. Well, thank you so much, Hercules. I, I love chatting with you as always. I've learned Same such here. a bit, and 
Yeah, it really flies, and um, all of our love to Athena. I'm sorry I missed her birthday celebration. I understand that it was quite festive, and the dragons really um, had a great day with you um, when you were there last. They're, they're, they're always awesome, and uh, I, I look forward to being there uh, every month. And, uh, again, we've said this before. I'll say it again. I wish we lived nearer. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, who yeah knows? I uh, agree. There's still some time left uh, on this planet, you know, for us. So uh, uh, let's see what happens with that. Uh, give my regards to the Druid and to all the wonderful people at the Amber Dragon. And again, blessed be Linda. Blessed be Hercules. We're going to listen to Brand Kadorian's King of Dreams, and then we'll be back with Brian and Tina Chandler.
Welcome back to Voice of Olympus. This is your host, Hercules Invictus, and now we're going to have a special crossover episode with Pride of Olympus to talk about our Starfleet adventures. Um, Tonight, we're going to be speaking with Brian and Tina Chandler about the USS Odyssey and their incarnation of the Star Trek universe. Greetings and welcome. Hello, Hercules. How are you doing? Did Athena have a great birthday? Yes, she did. Thank you for all your well wishings. How are you guys doing? Hanging in there. I'm glad to hear that. Um, so tell me all about the uh, USS Odyssey. I found your Facebook page, and I, and I asked to join. Uh, so that was a step in the right direction. And I'm really looking forward to starting with you guys. Okay, what would you like to know? <laughs> okay. Very good, Brian. Okay. Um what I'd like to know first is um, I found the Facebook page, and so that's one portal where people can access the uh, USS Odyssey. Um, how else can they find out about the USS Odyssey? Uh, well, they can email me if they want to do that. Um, the email for the ship is nx71832 at AOL. Wait, um, nx71832. Three two, okay. Uh, mm-hmm. Three two at, at AOL. AOL. Dot com. Correct. And at AOL. Dot com. And it's uh, N is in Nancy, X is in Xanadu, 71832 at AOL.com? Correct. Okay. Awesome. Yep, and that goes to me directly, so. Okay. So um, other than that, just the Facebook page is our thing right at the moment. 
Okay, fantastic. So now we have those two ways that people can uh, contact. And I'll send an email uh, in the next couple of days. This way it'll be in my uh, uh, in my address and we can communicate that way. Okay, so that's most of the ways that people can reach you. You had said on uh, the last show that uh, it uh, was an active ship that's currently on hiatus, but you're trying to bring it back uh, active. So what Correct. type of activities do you have uh, uh, in mind? Um. Well, we normally do, like, anytime there's a Star Trek movie premiere, we'll do that at one of the local theaters. We have some contacts there. So we show up, okay. you know, in costume and whatnot and just kind of generally advertise the ship. I've got some props that I bring. Um, we have pictures and things from past conventions that we've done. I saw um, those. You know, those. We, right, yeah, just a little bit of role play stuff. Um, I own a comic book store that deals rather heavily in Star Trek stuff. So, awesome. you know, we do we do a lot of things when we have events at the store. There's always people dressed up in track outfits. Yeah, I was uh, looking at that on your uh, Facebook page and some of the postings. So how long have you had a comic book store? That's an awesome thing. Uh-huh. It's fun sometimes. <laughs> we used to have a, uh, um, a store called the Barbarian Bazaar when we were in uh, Pennsylvania. And it was uh, science fiction, uh, fantasy, horror, uh, metaphysics. Uh, I used to hold classes there. I used to do role-playing games there. Uh, and uh, uh, we had other eclectic uh, you know, things. Uh, we had uh, t- toys, books, games, role-playing games, uh, video games. Uh, uh, so, you know, we had a lot of that pop cultural stuff. And um, even though it wasn't, I would say, a... Um, a cash cow, it was a lot of fun. And uh, looking back on my vocational history, uh, I would rank that very highly amongst uh, the things that uh, uh, I've done. So that, that is an awesome thing. Cool. Yeah, we have a good time with it. Um, you know, I carry like the Star Trek figures, the comics, some of the books, a lot of the vintage stuff, you know, just that kind of thing. It's collectibles, autographs, just a little bit of everything related to it. Sci-fi, comics, you name it. Yeah, I remember going to conventions. We sometimes interact with other groups, either role-playing with them or uh, building on our own costumes, either getting advice for costumes or uh, we call it track the track that we're trekking. (laughs) Track the track that we're trekking? Cool. So that's how it turns fast. So, um, okay, so you do those things. You do the role-playing, you do the, the costuming and the cosplay, um, and you do movies and, like, other type of events. Okay, um, what I'm uh, proposing uh, is uh, kind of like the old play-by-email games, um, as we spoke about last time. And also, it's like uh, you've probably been in track for a very long time uh, before everybody had a computer, there used to be these, like, uh, they would write out, like, a story, and then there were a bunch of editors, so they'd send in, like, what they were doing, who would edit it, you know, and edit some things out so it was consistent, uh, and then they put together, like, a big uh, uh, adventure, and then they published them in a fanzine. Mm-hmm. So I remember that. I've still got a lot of the old ones like that. Yeah, I used to have them, um, but I'd like to bring something like that back into our... Uh, um, our fandom experience. So basically it would be like a PBM. Uh, it would be uh, uh, interactive uh, storytelling 
uh, with uh, the focus on you know publishing these things at some point, uh, and also uh, convention interactions. Um, now you're not in the same universe as uh, Starfleet International. You're in a different Star Trek universe. Can you tell us a little bit about the history of, of that organization? Uh, well, we were part of UFP Incorporated. Um, it was a group based out of Oklahoma City, and okay. um, they've been around for God, I don't know, thirty years probably. So you know, it, it's been quite a while, and. For a while there, um, I actually held the post of Chief of Starfleet Operations for their entire Starfleet arm of the group. Um, oh, very cool. There, there were probably, at that, probably about 50 ships, I think, that were active. So it was a good-sized group. Yeah, years ago, it was very, very uh, – uh, the, the truck fandom was a very big thing. Um, here in the area, at that I initially wanted to do Greek mythology, and nobody was interested uh, uh, at the time. And uh, then I tried Norse mythology; nobody was interested in that. Then I tried like the Marvel versions of mythology, uh, and nobody was interested. And one day I had a, a Klingon book of some sort uh, on my desk, and people passing, "Ooh, Klingons! Ooh, Klingons!" So after like a dozen "Ooh, Klingons," I figured, "Let me try that," and I, I had no problem getting a group together. Uh, for Klingon roleplay, uh, and we started off with the Greek mythology story, and then we started doing conventions, and we started hooking up with people all over the United States and further afield, and for, I'd, I'd say, like a good decade and a half, we were very active in that uh, here in uh, uh, New York and New Jersey, and uh, um, had a lot of fun with it, and then, of course, life took us uh, on our separate adventures, and uh, uh, now I'd like to revive it, because um, I feel that we've become very pessimistic uh, and that uh, um, the vision of hope that Star Trek once offered us uh, is being drowned out by other uh, voices. And I really think it's important to have optimism for the future and to dedicate uh, oneself to uh, some extent to community service to the extent that one is able and uh, trying to make this world a better place. So uh, I, I feel that Trek fandom is something that can accomplish that uh, because it doesn't belong to any um, – it, it belongs to a, to a fictive universe rather than a uh, metaphysical or mythological universe uh, where people get uh, angry if their view of things is uh, challenged. Uh, here it's the property of Paramount, you know, uh, so it, it doesn't belong to anybody really. And it, it's a, it's a modern day made up mythology. Yes. Um, that's a discussion that Brian and I have had quite a bit of, or spent a quite a bit of time on. This is what I personally find different from uh, we call, I call it the JG or JJ Abrams Star Trek versus Roddenberry Star Trek. I mean, it seems like they've been trying to throw the entire thing of Star Trek out because, it, you know, we we all grew up with the tra- classic track, the classic track, and then uh, Next Generation, DS9, Voyager, Discovery, and Discovery's kind of going back to that where it seems that you are learning uh, different things about different races and different stories, mythology, and if you watch, like, Discovery, 
Um, with uh-huh. the first two episodes, you're learning a lot of mythology, and you can it, it's like um oh who wrote the power of myth um thank you yeah, I'm sorry, my train of yeah my train of thought derailed on that so. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean if you're looking at that you can see if you're looking at um the differences between the two different types of universes you and but discovery seems like it's bringing that back I mean you're seeing everything that Campbell talked about in the power of myth I mean we're learning lessons we're learning more about um Global consciousness. We're learning more about lessons about not only ourselves, but how we look at other people, how we look at ourselves. And and Jay and Adams is like, oh hey, we're just gonna have shoot 'em up, blow 'em up Star Trek films, where you you throw one tor- uh, proto- uh, photon torpedo at a ship and it blows to pieces. Give me a break. Yeah, Roddenberry, on the other hand, was more of a let's cloak social commentary and sci-fi, but everything has a reason to think about what you're watching and you get the moral of the story that way. And it right. had that vision for the future that was more of a hopeful thing where okay, yeah, you may have some stumbling blocks, you may have a little conflict, you may have a little bit of you know, bad things along the way, but that overriding optimism was always still there. Right, and that, that I believe is important and that did give birth to much of our technology. Uh, I mean, it's not difficult to see the communicators in the flip phones that we've just recently uh, uh, moved uh, past and uh, uh, discs everywhere. You know, that was uh, the science fiction of Star Trek. And now we have replicators in the 3D printers uh, that are able to process food. And, you know, it doesn't taste good yet, but we're on our way there. Uh, So there's all of this science fiction that now looks very dated because we've attained it and surpassed it. And a lot of the folks who invented that stuff uh, credited their inspiration to uh, Star Trek and wanting to create a world where Star Trek existed. So uh, it it is very sad to uh, relegate uh, Star Trek to shoot them up, bang, uh, sci-fi, because that's not what it was all about, as you pointed out. Yeah, well, J.J. Abrams had always said, even right from the get-go, that he was more of a Star Wars fan than a Star Trek fan, and you really can't compare the two, I guess, fandoms, if you want to call them that, where Star Wars is more science fantasy, where it is that shoot-em-up, bang-bang, good guy versus bad guy, let's go blow something up universe is what Abrams tried to turn it into, and got away from the let's tell a good story and make people think and be a little bit more cerebral with it rather than just visual and make it look good. Okay, good. So we're on the same, we're on the same page with uh, that aspect of, uh, of Star Trek uh, fandom. Um, I just set up a RPG uh, of the PBM uh, um, old uh, writing type uh, on uh, Facebook and I've invited you guys in. Um, and uh, I guess we could start there until I set up a separate group. Uh, but if you want to see what it's like, I have a group called Mythic Adventure on uh, Facebook. So you can just like ask to join that to, so you can see how it, it functionally operates. And I will start by, you know, I'll get in a private message or an email, your, your titles and things like that. And then I will address you from my vessel. And that's how the contact will be made. And then we'll just take it from there and see where it goes. Okay. For back information, I mean, would it be easier like email you with 
our um, like dossiers and and planet information, things like that, ship information. Yeah, sure. So we can't tell you. We can't tell you too much ship information. We have to kill you. You know that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was a Klingon once upon a time too, so it'll be tough. Um, yeah, that's but yeah, I, I guess email me just so enough information to start with, and uh, I'll send something over. And again, uh, because the goal is to eventually publish them as something, uh, we're going to wind up changing things here and there and retconning it as uh, we move forward. Uh, but just to start, um, what do you call? It? We'll do that, and th- then we'll just keep going, and then the chronicle will be recorded as we move along. And uh, uh, right now, I'll start on Facebook, because that seems to be common to everybody. Uh, but some people refuse to go on Facebook, so I'll probably start an email uh, uh, list as well at some point. Okay. Sound good to you, Brian? That works. Okay, what I'm going to contact you about, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of revisiting the initial concept that, uh, and we've uh, uh, reset our universe several times. So this is yet another version, but there are alternate timelines here, is that uh, um, Hercules and Athena and their uh, people found out that Apollo uh, is, has been uh, killed. So they're coming over to investigate what happened. So basically the episode will be canon and what Peter David did in the books and then that Star Trek continues episode, uh, there'll be rumors or, or like Star Wars likes to call them legends. You know, they're, they're, they may have happened, they may not have happened, and that'll, that'll depend. Uh, but they haven't been investigating yet. They're just rumors at this point. Uh, so that's how it'll start. That uh, the, the Olympians... Uh, um, let you know that they've become aware that Apollo was slain by a, a vessel called the USS Enterprise. Are you guys in the next gen time? Uh, I think we discussed this on the other show. I think you are, right? Yes, correct. Right. So it'll be this happened long ago before you guys were commissioned, but uh, it took us this long to get here. So, yeah, we're asking for more well, information. Actually, you can kind of work that into because the way I have my character written is that he actually served on the Enterprise under Kirk. And during a mission on a planet, he was exposed to something, and it bumped him forward 80 years through time. Okay. So so, so uh, basically you can state that, and, and we could take it from there. And uh, I, I'm sure you have that episode on uh, tape or have access to it. Uh, I know I have it uh, on DVD. Uh, so that'll be the background uh, so that we could start, you know, that, that'll be the reference that we have. If it's Trek, I have it. I have everything. <laughs> he does. He has I, I everything in multiple forms. And I still have a lot. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't have everything anymore. <laughs> yeah, I've got everything, probably more than I need to. <laughs> well, so great he to does, have. He never gets rid of anything. <laughs> I'm the same way. That's why we were able to stock a lot of the stores with our with our stuff, you know. <laughs> when we opened up it was exactly. all our stuff and then just kept restocking and getting new stuff in and uh, um, part of me still yens for that so I, I might do it again in a year or two uh, let's see how things go but uh, um, okay so good so we're on the same page uh, with that and you'll be able to offer a unique perspective because you were actually there okay and, that works uh, uh, where is the USS Odyssey currently patrolling? Where, where is it uh, adventuring? Well, when we last, last left our heroes, if you want to call it that, 
Um, okay. We were actually we were actually commissioned as the first warship that Starfleet had built in over a hundred years to fight in the Dominion War and whatnot. And when that okay. war was over, um, our mission became more of one of exploration. So we were headed out, you know, just where you know one of those out there that away kind of thing. So we can pretty much be put anywhere and have something work. Okay. So, uh, so the, we're we're driving uh, sun chariots and moon chariots, which are ancient mythical conveyances that uh, a lot of the ancient astronaut folks uh, have turned into like UFOs. Um, and uh, so you'll encounter one of those during uh, uh, your exploration mission, uh, and uh, and so that that works too. Uh, so if you just if you just tell me where you currently are and in, where in relation that is like Romulan Klingon Dominion uh, space, uh, I'll just put us there. And okay. that's a that's a good that's a good beginning. And then uh, we'll be adventuring uh, together. And um, now, what type of role playing games do you do? Do you do like a way team type role playing games, or more ship combat type role playing games? We've done a little bit of everything over the years, so you know, whatever works. <laughs> okay. Uh, my wife will make uh, costumes for us. And this way, when we uh, start doing conventions and everything, we'll have uh, those. Um, is, are you still associated with the UFP organization or are you independents now? Uh, we're, we're technically affiliated with them still, but you know, we're more independent because I'm not even sure how many ships are left in the, the group. I know the group is still active, but I think it's only a handful down from what it used to be. But okay. you know, I don't I don't know. I know the I think the original president of the group retired and turned it over to somebody else and that was the last I had heard from it and that's been a few years ago. It was just like they dropped off the face of the map, so That happens, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the reason I'm asking is because uh, this way we become like officially affiliated. Uh, we're an independent thing. We're also going to be uh, uh, we're going to be exploring other science fiction and uh, uh, metaphysical uh, realities uh, through our exploration. And uh, my particular goal will be to interface with the Greek mythic elements that exist in each of them. So uh, okay. that's fun. That's like my personal reason for for doing this, um, and uh, um, in addition to uh, the uh, Star Trek, we're going to do Stargate and Battlestar Galactica to start, oh. and uh, okay. from the from the spiritual metaphysical, we're going to be doing uh, Unarius, uh, the Urantia book, and uh, um, the uh, um, Mark Age. And then okay. the Sixth Revelation. Okay. And the Sixth Revelation is tied to the Urantia book. And Nick Curdo, you've met him already on one, on one of the shows. And uh, the mm-hmm. Duncans, uh, Michael and Diane, they're really into the Urantia book. So they've been doing a lot of that work, uh, finding the Greek gods and their uh, um, cosmic uh, spirituality. So that's just one okay. thing. The okay. Unarius, I've done like years of shows with them on comparisons with mythology. So um, that's pretty much... Uh, um, started uh, as well and then with the Mark Age I have like a 15 year relationship with them so we've done a lot of that work in the past so uh, I'm, I'm on, a, on a quest to connect with the Olympians in whatever dimension or reality they may be so that's okay. what I'm doing okay. in your reality 
um, and uh, that's a story we're gonna we're gonna explore and tell together. Okay. Okay, and everybody wants to play regardless of what uh, universe they're in, uh, so we could have some very interesting crossovers. Now, I I have a sense of humor. I take myself seriously, but I don't take myself solemnly. So, like for instance, when I was running science fiction games uh, for kids in libraries and homeless shelters and and so forth in Pennsylvania and Northwestern New Jersey, uh, we had some like Stargate, Star Wars, mythology crossovers. And our last two campaigns were Die Gungan Die and Wookiee Holocaust. Uh, So so again, we can have a sense of humor with all this. I want to have fun with it. That works. Well, every time we write a story, Brian has to put in there that he's tweaked my tail more than once, and literally, my character has a tail. Oh, awesome. Just to annoy me. So, so uh, you're a cat person here too, right? Uh, yes. Okay, awesome. And are you of an alien uh, race, uh, Brian, or are you uh, a human? I'm a human. Okay, awesome. Um. All right, so so far so good. We're we're on the same page. What would you guys like to uh, to do? I shared with you what I have in mind. What do you guys have in mind? Well, you've kind of opened so many doorways. I mean, I'm not sure which one to kind of put my hand in the pot and grab first. Literally, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, I guess um, when we when we establish everything and get the first few. Um, chapters or or um, sessions started, I guess I'll know better on which direction that we're going to be going in. But, you know, game for everything. I mean, my character is a, what she's called the keeper of the stars, so she's always looking forward, looking beyond. Hey, she's up for anything, so. Okay, great. Brian? I'm with her. <laughs> Okay, fantastic. I'm going to see if I can invite you now to uh, the uh, Mythic Adventure Group. Are you guys in there already? This way I don't need to switch pages. And um, I'll have to look. I thought you would put us on um, that earlier tonight, but uh haven't had a chance to get on Facebook to take a look at that. But I think you did put me on it a while back. I don't know if you put Brian on it, though. Okay, let me let me go back and find Mythic Adventure, and uh, okay. I'll put you both on the page. Okay. And I now, guess I'm Nick- going to have to talk to Mike and the Duncans, because I've been trying to read the Urantia book. I really have been trying, Hercules. <laughs> it's difficult. I, I have a hard time getting through the Urantia book myself. Um, oh. a, a lot of amazing things have happened in my interactions with the Urantia book, um, but... Uh, um, it, it, I have a difficult time of pouring through it too, and other people I've had on have said that uh, they have a difficult time going through it. I have to go back to my bullfinch mythology so so I can say, okay, this I'm grounding myself down and just go on with life. <laughs> yeah, I'm here, I'm here on the page, and with Tina. Okay, Tina Chandler and. I invited you, okay, and we'll see if I can invite Brian. Brian, I'm having some difficulty, like, uh, adding your name sometimes. You have, I don't know what your settings are. But I have no idea. Yeah, check then. I'll check it. Chan. 
Yeah, because on some things it won't let me add you or won't let me highlight your name. Okay, I'll check it and see what it's doing. Okay, I invited both of you. If you don't get the invitation, uh, feel free to um, ask to join the group, and I'll prove you. And uh, okay. the Mythic Adventure is a Greek mythology game that takes place right before the uh, voyage of Jason the Argonauts. Uh, we had stopped for a while, and then we restarted uh, again recently. But just so you get an idea of how like the, the turns work, it, it's basically I post a chapter. And I oh, give a summary okay. of what's going on everywhere. Because some people are on one island, some people are on another island, and uh, on, uh, uh, they're in different places on the island, too. So there's all these like, little games happening once. So I post what's happening everywhere, and then people respond to what's going on where they are. And then uh, every two weeks now, I just update it. So there's like the next chapter, which is uh, f- from the chapter before until that point, everything that happened. It's just summarized. And uh, because I'm the uh, dungeon master, or the storyteller, or the GM, uh, I update everything. So based on what, what people did, uh, you know, we've moved on. So there's like a new set of circumstances. And uh, this okay. one's wrapping down, actually. Like, uh, in a month or two, it should be over. And then we're going to start the Voyage of the Argo. Oh, good. So, Yay, the Argo. Anyway. We're back. <laughs> yep. I, I run a lot of those. It's funny. Uh, I ran uh, one in Pennsylvania early on. And when we had the Barbarian Bazaar, um, uh, a young man that was in the group and his wife and kids came into the store uh, and he was telling them about, like, when he sailed with Jason, you know, <laughs> on the Argo and all these different adventures they had. And their version of the Argo uh, had, like, uh, um, Egyptian necromancers and Arcadian werewolves in it. They went, like, all over the place and did all sorts of things and uh, had some interesting characters. But it's amazing the power of the story because uh, he was waxing forth so nostalgic, you know, that uh, it was real to him. And I found that with gamers over the years, too. If I bump into the years later, when they talk about uh, their campaign, it's like they're talking about a cherished memory. And uh, that's awesome. Well, things like that really do become um, a cherished memory. I mean, there's been times when um, Brian's been in the store and somebody comes in and says, hey, I remember you from so-and-so. Back in St. Petersburg, fifteen twenty years ago, I you got a great costume, you this and that. You know, it's it's interesting to see how that really affects people. And again, going back to track and going back to like Stargate, Battlestar, you know, you get your best memories when you're, you 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 see episodes like that. Right. What are I, I've recently one of uh, our our frequent guests, Ryan Foley, turned me on to. Uh, Rick and the Morty. And although initially I felt uncomfortable with it, uh, I, I still don't like the characters uh, and a lot of the humor, but the, the what their, their parody of sci-fi and their confronting of existential questions, uh, I found quite unique. So now I'm like watching it and I finished watching the three seasons uh, that are out. Uh, so that's been giving me a lot to, to think about. Um, but what type of science fiction would you, aside from Star Trek, would you like to see incorporated uh, into this uh, adventure? Oh, um, let's see. You mentioned Battlestar Galactica. You mentioned Stargate, which is excellent. How about Andromeda? 
Yes, Andromeda. I no longer have all the seasons, but I, I saw Andromeda. I remember Andromeda, and I could probably find uh, more uh, seasons of Andromeda to get myself up to speed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was another series. Again, Gene Roddenberry um, based. And if you look at the names of the ships and everything else, I mean, you're looking again at myth, the Greek myth. Yes. And in season uh, uh, five or six, there, there actually was a character named Zeus. In, uh, and some of the folks from the Hercules and the Xena shows uh, were characters on, uh, um, uh, as well as uh, um, people from uh, Stargate were characters on Andromeda. A lot of that was filmed in Canada, so that was all a lot of the same actors. And, yeah. uh, you know, of course, with Kevin Sorbo being the captain of the thing, he was pulling in a lot of people from Xena and Hercules just in cameos. He actually pulled in um, Michael Hurst, I think was his name, the guy that played yeah. Eolus, as the avatar of one of the old high guard ships. And he makes this comment about they have to go rescue these other ones from Tartarus. And Sorbo yeah. looks at him kind of funny for a minute, and he says, what's wrong? And he says, nothing, just deja vu. And off they go. <laughs> That's the type of stuff I want to locate and find on my uh, on my voyages. Um, and so, thank you for giving me a place. Uh, I go? I didn't remember that one, but now I got to go find it and uh, relive it. Yeah, and also maybe uh, maybe Babylon Five, the Babylon Five universe. That I have everything for Babylon Five. I have every single book. I have every single comic. I have every single uh, um, Wiggle episode. Uh, I have all the the side movies they did. That I still have. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to see what Bester would do with the, the character of Hercules. <laughs> Dare you? <laughs> <laughs> the the I have all the RPG uh, things for that as well. Oh my god! Yeah, I really the enjoyed that. Well, right. Uh huh. <laughs> uh, let's see. Can you think of anything else, Brian, that you wanted to see? I pretty much covered all the major ones, so that's good. Uh, unless Hercules. we somehow or another Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, oh, unless we somehow incorporate something from like space above and beyond, that's almost Battlestar Galactica, but really? kind of an obscure reference. But... Yeah, Let it was me... a good show, actually. Let me go on uh, Amazon and uh, try to find that one. What was it about? Yeah, it was actually. Um, it was actually set in, I, if I remember correctly, I'm not too sure of the timeline, but it was originally set in like the mid-21st to mid-22nd century. And it, the main story followed a group of what they called U.S. Space or United Nations or something, Space Marines, that uh, Earth had gone out and they were going to form this colony on another planet. And when they sent the colony ship out, it was attacked and they thought destroyed by um, an alien race called the Chigs. And what had happened is it ended up, um, the Chigs thought the humans were invading. So of course they blew up the ship and then launched an invasion to, um, you know, basically just wipe out humanity from the get go. So they had to create these carriers. They created, um, what they called hammerheads. They were like single seat fighters. They had carriers and it was basically like the Marine Corps in space. And it was actually okay. a really good show. Very well done. Okay. I will have it to only check went one that. season, but yeah, it only went one season. They kind of cut it off in the middle. It was another one of those things that was 
on Fox that they were showing on a Sunday night, and they kept preempting it for football, and Fox said it was too expensive for the ratings they were getting and just killed it after a season, kind of like they did with Firefly. Firefly, I enjoyed a great deal. I, I never I never saw Space Above and Beyond. Now I'm curious about it, but uh, we really enjoyed uh, Firefly and uh, Serenity. And, uh, I could never too. get into those shows. I could no? never get into those shows. Nope. I don't know why. Well, that's okay. So we, we'll leave that one out. Um, and uh, um, Okay, when did Babylon 5 take place? Do you remember? Was it also like in the 23rd, 24th century, or was it earlier? 23rd, yeah. Uh, 22, what was it, 2259 to 2264, uh, I believe. Okay, so that's the 23rd century. So that would take place around the same time as uh, uh, the classic Star Trek, right? Correct. Uh-huh. All right, so we can uh, we can conceivably go 100 years in the future because they had episodes where they went thousands, if not millions of years in the future. So that universe is still around. I actually have uh, on uh, my altar a Vorlon. <laughs> With or without well, the encounter suit? <laughs> well, they, they're the angels of every mythology. Uh, and are they good? Are they bad? Are they really concerned with their evolution or their own ways? It's never really clear. And because they're so evolved and different from us, uh, their motivations can't be clear or, or, or clearly understood. So that was always the enigma of uh, the highest. You know, when you strive for the highest, and I've spent my lifetime striving through these different mythical and spiritual structures to understand you know, what are we doing here? What's a, what is the point of all this? And what's our evolution? Um, the Vorlon represented very well that particular enigma. We don't really know for sure. You know? uh, and we can't, you know, so, but it's still, it's, it's, I feel it's a worthwhile uh, endeavor to try to. So the Vorlon represented that excellently to me. Yeah, probably Kosh would look at us and say, you do not belong here. And next thing you know, we're back in our own universes. <laughs> I think we've spoken about that in the past too. That you also have a, a feeling of being other. I've had that my entire life. I never felt I belonged here. Uh, when I was a kid, I used to tell everybody that I was here by mistake. Somebody made an error somewhere, <laughs> and that's why. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> have you guys pursued that avenue of it, like either through? Uh, I know that. Uh, um, Tina has. Have you also, Brian, uh, pursued that like spiritually and, and tried to explore it? Not really, no. And have you ever gotten involved I'm in any? On him. Okay. Have you ever gotten involved in any of the uh, like the other kin uh, fandoms? What do you mean by that? Well, uh, no. I, <laughs> I used to know uh, Tiernan. Tiernan is the one who, uh, that's one of her names. Uh, she's gone by another one now, but her name was Tiernan at the time. And she started the whole other kin um, movement. And then she left it because it got kind of too uh, uh, strange for her. Um, the same thing happened. We, we started a lot of Klingon activity at a particular time and got into the whole uh, role assumption, LARPing aspects of it before there were even LARPs. Uh, and then we left because it got too silly. You know, so many people got into it and they were doing so many things with it that we really couldn't uh, enjoy it anymore. Uh, but she had started uh, like a, a forum for people who felt that they were alien 
or um, other. So some of the other things included like the Fae or dragons. Uh, I've had a few people on the show actually who you know, spoke about that. Um, so uh, I remember the early forms, early conversations where people were wrestling with, you know, okay, you're human. You know that you're human, but you don't feel human. You know, you feel like you've been born on the planet of the apes or something, you know, and that you're actually from somewhere else and somebody made a, a mistake somewhere. Uh, or that you had some particular reason for being here as an other. Uh, so those are the types of things that people uh, wrestle with. And it's a fascinating type uh, of uh, phenomenon. Um, and it goes beyond just addressing the sense of alienation that we feel in this uh, society. Uh, so, uh, it, yeah, I followed it up for a little while. And uh, then again, it, it, it wasn't really what I was all about. So I uh, kind of distanced myself, although occasionally... Uh, re-explored on the show. So I was wondering if you guys had ever, because uh, I know they have cat people. Um, I'd met a few cat people back in the day uh, too, who uh, felt that they came from particular places. There have been books written by Murray Hope, for instance, uh, that talk about uh, cat people incarnating among humanity uh, and uh, not uh, as fiction, but as this is how they feel and they develop spiritualities around them. Uh, in the New Age spiritualities concerning like the planets Lyra and Sirius and uh, uh, other places like that, there's all sorts of uh, cats who came to Earth and incarnated as people. So there's an extensive uh, mythic spirituality uh, around those as well. Well, I've investigated a lot of it as part of my uh, mythical mythology and historical studies, but I'm not so much. <laughs> okay. I mean, I am a member of the furry community, but my fursona is um, more of a fox. Um, I do have a Dutch angel dragon, but that's all I've done basically regarding that, and except working with my... Uh, feline character in the Star Trek universe. So Brian, okay. no, not so much. He his he's terra firma with his feet firmly planted in the ground. I, I, I tell him that sometimes he gets boring. So <laughs> Unless it's on a starship, then we're talking. <laughs> All right. So we got a lot, lot to work with here. Uh, within a week, we can actually start. Uh, then what we'll do is because you're like in a separate universe, uh, we'll have like a separate show where we'll develop that universe. And if you have any crew members you want to bring uh, to be interviewed or any people who are like admirals or uh, part of the uh, Starfleet, uh, let's start building up the universe and we'll start getting to meet these people and see who wants to be involved. And uh, uh, we'll build it up into a uh, uh, an ongoing activity. Okay. And you guys are in Florida, correct? Yes. Okay, I don't know when my journeys will take me to Florida. Once upon a time when we had our own science fiction stuff, we still go to Florida fairly regularly, but uh, that was years ago. Uh, but within like half a decade, I anticipate I'll be traveling around again. Uh, so uh, we can aim for that in the uh, future. Uh, in the interim, uh, are there any online games that you guys get involved with with Star Trek? Uh, I've heard about several of them. I haven't investigated them yet. Um, unfortunately, with everything that's been going on with the both of us, we really haven't had time to 
get into any more gaming or anything like that right now. Our children, unfortunately, uh, are now starting to get interested in the the D&D and the uh, um, Warhammer and and things like that right now. But Uh because they're both autistic ADHD, they see figures and they see books. It's like, oh, and then they get distracted and the game goes out the window. So. Yep, I, I understand that our son uh, has Asperger's, uh, so he's on the autism spectrum, so we certainly understand. Mm-hmm. That's okay. what um, our, our son has, um, Bobby. He's, he, he's 10, so. Yeah, our son just turned uh, 18. He's, he's brilliant. Oh. Uh, he's uh, a very uh, um, unique and loving uh, person. Uh, yeah, very, very creative. Uh, but he's a teenager too, you know. <laughs> so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm just so joyfully waiting for three years to pass, and then it's going to be Brian's turn. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's really strange being. Uh, I've been a parent three times over, uh, but it's it's very strange being a parent when you remember being a teenager, you know, like you remember being a kid and a teenager, and it doesn't seem so long ago. Uh, and now all of a sudden, you know, like I'll, I'm I'm 60, uh, so <laughs> no longer young. No oh longer my gosh! Young, you know. <laughs> have Have you gotten the? You actually listen to that when now you are my age, or were you ever that young? Oh my gosh! <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, what can you do? You go on. Uh, we were talking about that with uh, Linda on the segment before. Uh, my aunt, when oh. I was uh, 17 or 18. She tapped me on the uh, shoulder, and I said yes. And she said, "When you're 35, I'm going to tap you on your shoulder again, and then I'm going to ask you a question." So I said, "All right," and, and promptly forgot about it. Uh, and then when I was 35, she remembered. She tapped me on the shoulder, and then she reminded me, and I remembered. And she asked me, "How did the past 18 years feel?" So I thought about it, and I said, "They're like a dream. It's like they happened yesterday." And uh, she said, how about all the things that happened between? I said, again, very dreamlike. They're in memory. Uh, and it seems like yesterday that that happened. So uh, she told me that when I'm 55, she'll do the same thing. And she did. And between uh, 35 and 55, it, it was the same thing. That uh, life passed very quickly. It was very dreamlike. Uh, it seemed like it all happened uh, yesterday. So uh, it's amazing when you have people in your life, you know, like children uh, that, that, you know, like, you know what you did during those years, you know, and, but it's, and they've grown. Obviously, they're adults or nearing adulthood, but uh, uh, it, it's amazing. You know, it still feels like very fluid, very dreamlike. Mm-hmm. You turn around once and there are babies, you turn around and they're in elementary school, you you're afraid to turn, but you turn around, they're in middle school, and then you turn yet again, and they're presenting you with a grandchild. And it's like, where did the time go? <laughs> yes, yes, where did it go? Mm-hmm. Um, my eldest son is uh, in his 30s already. He's been married for years. <laughs> so <laughs> It's amazing. My oldest is just getting is going to be getting married in the next year or so, too. So it's like, ah! Congratulations. Uh-huh. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, I I don't know if you work out, Brian. Um, what do you call? I used to go years ago to the gym, you know, and uh, um, I used to work out in the gym all the time. And then one day, 
uh, I was working out with somebody else who was my age, and I asked him if you realized that we're the old guys in the gym. You know, when you're younger, there are always like a few, a handful of old guys at the gym. <laughs> and, and somehow that was us. You know, we didn't even realize that we got there. We we went from being guys at the gym to being the old guys at the gym, you know, like, uh, uh, and then you remember all the old guys in the gym over the years. And then all of a sudden finding yourself that you're in that number. Oh, I, I did that with roller skating. Actually, I used to go roller oh. skating like every weekend when I was a kid, you know, right through teenage years. And I hadn't been in probably 15 or 20 years at that point. And we decided one night we were going to go roller skating and I pulled my skates out and, uh, I had these particular green and gold laces that I had, and those have always been the ones I've worn. Tina took one look at them and hauls off and hits me. I said, what was that for? She says, because when I was a kid, you were the one that chased me around because she used to wear this orange hunter's cap on the floor. And she (laughs) said, I was the one that used to chase her around and steal her hat, and she ended up putting me over the wall one time at uh, one of the skating rinks out here. And we just happened to be at that rink one night and still found the divot in the wall where I'd gone over the wall it took a oh, chunk wow. out of it and she says i've owed you that for 20 years <laughs> well he he was chasing my sister my, my twin sister and us i mean this was the kid that you hated at the rink i mean he said he speed skate he didn't care who he knocked down he didn't care who he knocked over he got warned by the head of the rink all the time he was going to kick him out and kick him out so this one day i mean i think we were like 12 13 or 12 years old and i i think so and that's when he came up behind me and knocked my sister da- down again for like the fourth or fifth time. I'm trying to help her up, and I and he yelled something at her, and I said, "That's it, I'm gonna kill him." And I get up, my sister somehow gets off the floor, grabs the back of my hat, and pulls it off, and my hair comes down, and I hear, "You're a girl," and this humongous slam, and I see these black skates with these gringo laces sticking up over the wall, the owner of the rink laughing his head off. (laughs) (laughs) But just thinking back on that and realizing I was, you know, 12, 13 years old at that point, when we started going back again, I was almost 40. So I felt like the old guy then. Wow. Probably moved like it too. You, You guys have known each other for a very long time. That's great. Yeah, quite a while. Well, our our voyage for tonight is uh, nearing its uh, end. I'm really glad we had the opportunity to get to know each other a little bit better, and I'm very excited uh, at the prospect of creatively uh, interacting with you in uh, mythical and outer space uh, settings. Um, Can you share again your contact information for those who wish to uh, contact with you? I posted it on uh, the timeline on Facebook. Our group is the USS Odyssey, and our email address is nx71832 at aol.com. And how about information on your uh, comic shop? Do you have a website, or do you have a Facebook group for that? Our uh, website is in progress, but I do have a Facebook page. Um, it's actually facebook.com slash Fort Myers Comics, and the name of the store is Comics, Cards, and Stuff. All my other contact information is on there. Okay, if you can, I can't type that fast. So if you can add it uh, underneath, that would be awesome. This way people can uh, um, can access it. Um, okay. Because 
you guys have uh, been very creative for a very long time and uh, you've been involved in uh, uh, fandom as well as uh, really cool pop cultural things like roller derby. Uh, Are there any words of wisdom you can offer to those uh, who uh, are afraid to pursue their dreams? As far as Trek fandom, speaking from personal experience, if people think you're weird for being a Trek fan, go with it. It works all the time. And you end up being proven right because eventually they'll start watching it and they'll go, hey, now I see what you understood about this all those years ago, and we're enjoying it too. Awesome. Thank you very much, Tina. Never be afraid to slap on those pock ears and, and go out and have a little fun. Um, I'm, put, I'm reminded of the words uh, from Eleanor Roosevelt. Nothing worth doing is ever easy. And I mean, there have been times I've gone out and Brian looks at me and says, you're going to wear that to your roller derby function. I'm like, yeah, okay. (laughs) (laughs) So I figure at my age, I I can now be the eccentric old bat out there. (laughs) (laughs) But, But go out and have fun. Never be afraid to try something. If you're like curious on dressing up and just going somewhere, just do it. You might know. You, you might go out there and have the best time of your life. Amen to that. Um, thank you very much to both of you. You're awesome. I'm glad that I know you, and I'm really happy that we're going to be interacting in this uh, new way. And to all those who've been listening, thank you for being with us uh, here tonight. Until next time, this is Hercules and the Chandlers wishing you all the best. Thanks for listening to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network. Join us seven nights a week for exciting programming covering a variety of expressions of faith. And remember, all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Invictus and Athena Victory celebrates the mythic impulses of ancient Greece and Rome, and they invite you to celebrate with them. Welcome to Voice of Olympus.